Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to Lost in Science for another week. My name is Claire and we have another half an hour of science. And this week on the show we have, we've got two stories. One from Stu, one from Chris. Um, And Stu, what did you bring us to elucidate the world of science a little bit further today? Well, I I brought you something to chew on. Uh, People are probably maybe getting a bit sick of hearing about vaccines in the news all the time, considering yeah. considering how glacially they seem to be being distributed mm-hmm. in Australia. Uh, but I did I did a bit of reading during the week about uh, a vaccine which is only peripherally related to the COVID vaccine, but in <laughs> fact in a very important way. But okay. it's actually a vaccine for malaria, which is getting some good results. The measures against COVID stopped a whole lot of illnesses last year, mm-hmm. but didn't stop malaria because mm. malaria is, well, unstoppable in so many ways. It's, you know, uh, hard to hard to control. Um, so a vaccine would be a great thing and looks like they're one step closer to getting that as a reality. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how they did that and why it is actually slightly related to the COVID vaccine. That's really interesting because um, malaria is a completely different thing. Like it's not a virus, it's a parasite, isn't it? So it's, yeah, that's uh, right. It's a completely different mode of transmission and all sorts of things. So yeah, wow. And Chris, what do you have for us today? Well, I don't know if I would call what I've got news because it's kind of revisiting a story talked about a few years ago. Um, about over four years ago, I think it was, there was talk about this new kind of space drive that NASA was working on, the the M drive, which is some kind of impossible defying the laws of physics drive. And, you know, a lot of people said it wouldn't work. Some people said it would work because they, I don't know, they want to believe you can have this magical drive. Uh, NASA was putting some money into researching it. And their initial test showed that it might actually be working, as I said, defying the laws of physics. Well, new tests have shown that, in fact, the laws of physics have won and uh, it's not working, but I'm going to talk about how that is the case and Mm. what the excuses were that people thought it might work and why you hear this a lot. Um, Yeah, the words vacuum energy will come up if that means anything to anybody. Um, It's one (laughs) of those catch-all things that people use to explain perpetual motion machines and various other things that also don't work. So, Presumably not just plugging your hoover into the wall. That's not what they mean by vacuum energy. I don't think so, Stu, but it look, it does suck. Um, I love that sometimes on the show we just go real deep into the corrections about things that they did say were going to work, like like newspaper corrections that are always at the bottom of the newspaper. No I one ever sees important. them. We need to bring them to the forefront. Well, we need to follow up on these things. They say yeah. this thing hits the news and we go, oh, is it going to work? Is it not going to work? When there's an answer, I think we need to report on that. Very important. Well, keep listening for corrections and injections. On with the show. 
everyone's attention has been fixed over the last year and a half on a particular transmissible disease. The effect of other diseases, though, have been widely variable. Now, in a lot of places, uh, quarantine and isolation measures designed to control the spread of coronavirus were very effective at stopping other less contagious illnesses as well, like seasonal flu. Right. We had a lot less cases of seasonal flu last year. Yeah, almost almost disappeared. Uh, mm-hmm. And common colds were, you know, a dim, distant mm. memory, although I have <laughs> had one since we've been yeah. uh, back on the streets. Um, there's also there's also some hope in the early days. I remember that people thought their head lice might die out if your kid's not going to school. That maybe we could wipe out head lice. But uh, I don't feel think like you happened. might need to do a follow up story about that, Chris. Mm. Yeah, we'll um, we'll scratch around and there. see what we can find. <laughs> Other illnesses have caused more damage in some places than coronavirus did. One in particular that didn't seem to skip a beat in 2020 was malaria. Uh, in Africa, it seems like malaria caused about four times more deaths than COVID did throughout uh, the continent. Now, malaria is a mainly tropical disease spread by mosquitoes carrying one of the species of parasitic microbes called plasmodia that cause the disease. Over 200 million people contract malaria every year, and it causes about 400,000 deaths a year. Uh, mainly in children, and most of those children are in sub-Saharan Africa. Question there, like, I mean, like I said, Africa actually so far, hopefully, and Touchwood has not been hit by the um, by COVID too badly. Um, but malaria has, like, for for forever, basically been one of the biggest transmissible diseases. But I suppose we're looking at, like, what, at least 3 million dead so far from COVID in 12 months, just to put in perspective yeah. the, that pandemic as well. Absolutely, it, it's not it's not a small thing, but it's uh, yeah, it just it's just that Africa um, acted really quickly and kept the numbers really low as well. So they did a really good job in a lot of African countries. Now, in people who contract malaria more than once and survive, they can develop a kind of immunity to the parasite, and while they still carry the plasmodia, they don't develop symptoms. So they 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 have it, but they don't get sick. Hmm. So that immunity or that immune response has been the basis of a search for an anti-malarial vaccine that could prevent the disease from taking hold and reduce its severity, which would obviously save lives. And various projects have been underway since, uh, well, they started working on this in 1910. So it's been going for quite some time, really kicked off in the mid 20th century, trying to find a vaccine for malaria. The only other real way to prevent it is to control the mosquito population with insecticides mm-hmm. and physical and chemical barriers against mosquito bites. Now, the World Health Organization has actually got a minimum target for a malaria vaccine of 75% effectiveness before they think it will be useful to deploy. Is that higher? Than, than other diseases? It varies on the disease and it also varies on, on sort of how communicable the disease is. So mm. malaria, you basically have to get it from a mosquito bite. You can't catch it person to person. So it's a little bit of a, um, a wild card, if you like. It, it doesn't spread through a population. It spreads in a population or mm-hmm. 
you know, from, from this outside vector. So the 75% effectiveness for the vaccine means that three quarters of the people who get the vaccine will not develop malaria symptoms when they're infected with that plasmodium that causes it. The World Health Organization has also set a target for a two-thirds reduction in malaria deaths by 2030. And because they're having problems with uh, mosquito uh, resistance to insecticides building up over time, they're kind of depending on a vaccine to actually be able to hit that two-thirds reduction uh, by 2030. I believe we've seen some um, we've seen some improvements though with treatments for malaria too in in uh, recent decades. I think there was a Nobel Prize given a couple of years ago for one of the some of the new treatments that have saved a lot of lives. Yeah, and and treatment is improving all the time, and of course that is dependent on robust healthcare systems to deliver that treatment as yeah. well, which is part of the problem with sub-Saharan Africa is that just don't have the infrastructure. Whereas a vaccine, which could be given once, will protect the people against getting the malaria and then you won't have to treat them. So it's it's sort of a, a, a win-win as well in that way. Being dependent on a vaccine, it's actually pretty lucky. A multinational research group uh, have pre-published a paper in The Lancet this month that suggests they have a vaccine with 77% effectiveness in preventing malaria in a controlled trial. Amazing. So their trial took place in Burkina Faso in West Africa, where a group of children were given a newly developed malaria vaccine, which had an effectiveness of 77% after a year. So a year after getting the vaccine, they were still uh, getting the benefit of uh, this immunity to the, the, uh, the plasmodium. You mentioned, talk about this plasmodium, what kind of organism is a plasmodium? Is it a bacterium or is it like something different? It's a protozoan. It's a eukaryote, which means it's a complex cell. It has multiple organelles in the cell. It has a complete life cycle that goes through the mosquito where it has a sexual phase of reproduction. It reproduces asexually when it's introduced into the human host and causes problems because it sort of nests in people's livers and causes all sorts of problems in that way as well. So it's it's a very it's a very complex organism. In in my rudimentary understanding of, you know, vaccines and the immune system that I've been able to get throughout this last year mostly, it doesn't seem like the sort of thing that you could create a vaccine against, what you just described. Well, it's it's a very complicated uh, thing to uh, to work on. The work done on the malaria vaccine used in this study, because it is such a complex organism, you know, compared to the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus, which has only twelve genes in the mm. virus, the malaria plasmodium has over five thousand genes in the plasmodium. So, targeting something specific. Uh, Any time it can change and it is a living thing, it sexually reproduces, which further mm. complicates the variation and all that sort of thing. The other big problem with the malaria vaccine is that the disease actually suppresses the immune system at the same time as it's as it's invading the human body. So it's suppressing the immune system. Vaccines are trying to create an immune response artificially. So it's very difficult to get those things to work at the same time. The work they were doing on this vaccine, though, 
was also used to produce the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is the virus that uh, is cause or the virus that causes um, COVID nineteen caused by the SARS CoV two virus. They already had an association with AstraZeneca while they were working on this vaccine. They used some of the technology from the malaria work that they'd been doing way back in 2019 to develop quickly the um, the COVID-19 vaccine, the mm. AstraZeneca version of it. And because they were already working on it, they actually had agreements in place with the world's largest vaccine manufacturing facility, which is actually in India, to produce this malaria vaccine if it proved to be successful. So because they had all these agreements in place for the malaria stuff, they could basically just switch over and they rapidly started producing the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine in that facility, which is why India is basically leading the world in how much of that vaccine is being produced uh, because they were kind of already in on the ground floor with all of these other developments. So those agreements were switched to making COVID vaccine when priorities changed. Um, But that rapid manufacturing has been demonstrated as a realistic proposition. So the uh, the researchers working on the malaria vaccine are hoping that when production shifts back to the malaria vaccine, which they've already proved could work and has a high level of effectiveness, they could deploy that as rapidly to, you know, to developing countries and produce a whole lot of it so that everyone who needed it could get it Uh, just as quickly. The malaria vaccine, uh, they are doing further research on that. They've got larger study groups from a lot wider demographics in four different African nations. And as I've said, Africa is the continent that's pretty much hit the hardest by malaria every year. So it's a good place to test it. They're going to need it first. Uh, And then probably they will expand it to other countries in the world and make sure that everyone, you know, that it doesn't have any ill effects, obviously. So basically they're at the phase three level now. That's what they're going into, testing on a wide range of age groups and uh, different genetic backgrounds and things like that. Um, I just thought it was an interesting story after we've heard a lot about vaccines this year. It's interesting to see how existing work in other areas of research can be pulled into supporting urgent new medical science developments when we need them, and also how science itself is an interconnected endeavour which can have both deliberate goals and these unpredicted benefits that are sort of, you know, just a bonus on the side.
Yes, you are listening to Lost in Science, and I am talking once again about the magical, mystical M drive. Uh, M drive. M drive. Is that e M drive? Is, is that like in an automatic car, like a different gear? M drive? No. What is it? No, it's like M, e, it's, M for it's motion. Actually, M it's for e motion. M, oh. No, it's not M for anything. It's E M drive. Oh, like, like my friend Emily. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but it looks like okay. M drive. M, I don't M, know. M, yeah, M, does it work? Anyway, um, so this is a device that was invented a few years ago, and it hit kind of the news in 2016, at the end of 2016, when then when NASA had done some experiments on it that seemed to show that it actually produced a small amount of thrust. Um, which was surprising for a, a an engine that shouldn't really work at all. So it was a little engine that could, I suppose, at that time, is what it seemed like. <laughs> the little it's engine. A, engine. <laughs> engine. So what, what it is, it's basically, yeah. it's, not, it's, not, it's not too spectacular to look at. It's kind of like a, a cone-shaped cavity um, that has a microwave generator inside. And the idea is because there is a cone shape, the electromagnetic fields generated by the microgenerator, they aren't symmetrical. And as a result, it pushes forward in the direction of the cone. Okay. So it's a bit like, I don't know, um, if you were, say, standing on a skateboard and like it had like a, a, a thing sticking out, a pole sticking out, and you pushed against the pole, you're standing on the skateboard, and by pushing on the pole, you're able to push yourself forward. It's a bit like that kind of deal. Right. So, because the thing is, it's basically the idea is it's creating a force without pushing against anything else. Mm. Now, if you're familiar with Isaac Newton at all, yeah, I was just about to say that doesn't fit with he's my a, understanding of Isaac Newton. Exactly. He's the Apple guy, right? He's the Apple guy. Yeah, Apple Steve guy. Jobs. Yeah, Isaac Newton. You know, his third law of motion was that for every action there is an equal opposite reaction, and um, in this case specifically, the conservation of momentum, which something something is pushing forward, something else has to be pushed backwards. So, an example is a rocket, where a rocket flies through space. It does it by shooting something out of its back end. You know, like a superheated gas or ions. You have like an iron rocket that basically mm. sends charged particles out the back. Basically, something has to go out the other end. There has to be some sort of exhaust so that you can have momentum going one way and momentum pushing forward. Can't just have a cone with a microwave in it. No, you can't just can't just have a cone with a microwave in it. So, so, so the the equal and opposite reaction is Newtonian physics. It sounds like this is Coyotean physics, as in Wiley Coyote. <laughs> kind of ideas the, the kind of ideas he comes up with it's like you can put you can push against it without having anything to push against mm. he was a genius though <laughs> was it created by acme uh no it wasn't it was eagle works was the um the like the elite nasa thing that was doing experiments they're basically laboratories that do kinds of crazy experiments on all kinds of weird concepts like they're trying to build a warp drive as well which also doesn't look look like it's going to work but, uh, you know, you've got to Good try Good on them for out. trying. Yeah, exactly. They, they are in the desert, though, right? Surely. Just like the coyote. <laughs> they are. They are. Um, they're, they're unlikely Still to have... will labour this point. Yeah. They're unlikely to have as disastrous consequences because these things are not going to blow up or anything like that. Good. But anyway, so this, this device, back in 2016, like I said, they did some tests and they found a very small thrust from it. It was, like, tiny. It was, like, in the range of between 30 and 128 micronewtons, which is the equivalent of the weight of a mass weighing only 13 milligrams. And it, and is, it wasn't just an error? 
Well, let's say that kind of wasn't an error. Um, it's like it's a tiny mass, but mm. like like when you first have zero, anything is impressive. And, you know, if it was real, then you imagine you could scale it up mm. and you stick it in space and, um, yeah, eventually it'll build up to be a, a big enough a big enough effect. But um, other people sort of were sceptical, of course. As you gathered, I'm, with my attitude, I was, I was sceptical, uh, like most physicists. And people at Dresden University recently did some tests to uh, some more kind of exhaustive tests, precision tests is the way they put it, to essentially show that it doesn't work. What they did was they essentially put the whole thing on kind of a, um, a pendulum arrangement with, you know, defined supports. They put a, they powered it by a battery that was inside the engine. So there wasn't any external energy source, but they had it on this suspended thing. And they found that if they built it just right, they could actually replicate the thrust that NASA observed, but they detected what that was from. It was that essentially the engine was warming up and it caused the the different supports to heat and bend in different ways. And so the kind of the the suspended device moved slightly because the it was heating mm. unevenly. Um, so they um, compensated for that. And when they compensated for that effect, they found that they got no thrust at all. And they claim they have ruled, ruled it out by at least three orders of magnitude. Right. So... Yeah, like I said, not a result that anybody should have been surprised about, but it's one of those things that people hold out hope for these kind of stuff because they everyone wants some sort of magical device, you know, yeah. like these things, perpetual motion machines, this kind of stuff. Everyone's hoping that there is a loophole in the laws of physics. And often they people turn to the same loophole, which is something called vacuum energy or zero-point energy is sometimes called. Um, I don't know if you, any of you have heard of this. If, basically, if you do hear of it, it's usually a warning sign that <laughs> someone is making something up. They're essentially, they're just spitting some crap and it's not going to work out like they said. So essentially what it is, is that the, I think we talked about, I talked about subatomic particles last week. You did. And how, yeah. yes, at the quantum level, you have kind of all these virtual particles coming in and out of existence. Like the nature at a quantum level is not, it's not empty. There is this like this sea of, of particles if you go down to the very lim- bottom level. So the the lowest energy level of a quantum field is not zero. It's kind of a non-zero amount. And so people see that this is this non-zero energy and they go, oh, wow, we can we can tap into that. It is free energy throughout the universe. Um, and this is the case of this, um, this M-dry. They thought, well, maybe somehow it's pushing against the vacuum. It doesn't look like there's anything coming out, but it's pushing against this vacuum energy and that's how it's pushing forward. The trouble is it's the vacuum energy, although it's real, it's not actually something you can cheat and use to break the other laws of physics. Like it is the bottom energy of the universe. You can't go below it. You can't extract energy from it really um, because you can't go below that. You can actually do something. It has uh, measurable effects. There's this thing called the, um, the Casimir effect. Whereas if you have like, you have two metal plates next to each other, then you can measure the energy electromagnetic field between them. And you can find that if there's a non-zero electromagnetic field between them just by them being there in that arrangement. And that the closer they are together, the less energy there is. Mm. Um, now in physics, things tend to go from a high potential energy to a low potential energy. So these plates will be pulled together by this some sort of hidden force in the vacuum. So that is a real effect. It has been measured. It happens. Sounds like getting something for nothing, but you can't actually build anything out of this because... You know, yeah, sure, it's going to pull the place together, but 
if you want to like get more energy out of it, you have to pull them apart pull again them apart, and yeah. use more energy to pull them apart. So it's not getting something for nothing in that sense. So yeah, it doesn't stop people from trying to get something for nothing. But it is, like I said, it's one of those things that if you hear someone talking about this, this zero point energy is vacuum energy. Yes. Can we hold out hope though at all, Chris? Well, we can, because having said all that, we don't fully understand it. I mean, I quoted Isaac Newton before. He knew nothing about this stuff. So we can't really say he said this wouldn't work. Um, And that there are mysteries around it. So even though we have something like the Casimir effect, you can see that that is working because of the difference in it. We don't actually know how much energy there is in the vacuum. Um, You might have heard of dark energy, which is supposedly an energy that fills the entire universe and causes it to expand faster and faster. That should be related to the vacuum energy, but the numbers don't add up. Um, dark energies are much, much smaller than you'd think it would be if it was just the vacuum energy. So something else would be cancelling out the other vacuum energy. We honestly don't know how it works. So there perhaps there is some way that you can do some trick with it. But look, all indications are, like I said, it's not a loophole. It's, um, it's just another feature of the universe and you can't use it to cheat your way through. That's all we have time for on another episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for joining us. Lost in Science is recorded on the lands of the Kulin Nation at the studios of 3CR and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the kind support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you would like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at lostinsight@gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook where we are Lost in Science on 3CR or try us on Twitter where we are Lost in Science 1 or just tune in again next week wherever you listen to us when Stu, Claire and Chris get Lost in Science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 
3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.